morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the All-American Savage Show podcast. I am your host, John Burke. We've got a very special guest in the studio today. Um, the title of the episode, as you can already see, is The Fall of Afghanistan. And I'm not going to give away any of your personal information because, you know, you said you have things that you want to keep be kept secret, but as a friend of mine that I know, I'm not going to give away any information. I'll let you introduce yourself however you want to do that, because you said you definitely want to keep a lot of uh, what you did, who you are in the dark for reasons. Of course. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just go with what I did. Uh, United States Marine, fast forward, got into contracting. Um, been doing that ever since. Mm-hmm. So you were over in Afghanistan when Afghanistan fell? I was. What were you doing over there? I was on an advise and assist mm-hmm. uh, program. Mm-hmm. So I actually got out there on the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the last groups of people to get out there. Um, and the rumors started trickling down as to what was going to happen. And it was just day by day. It was changing constantly. You know? Where were these rumors coming from? Um, like, can you, you had to speak up. They can't really hear you. Yep. Uh, what were the rumors? Was this like intelligence-based reporting? Or was it like speculation? Like, how, how was this? A little of both. I mean, you got social media in there, too. So mm-hmm. it was just, oh, we're going to pull out here. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. It just, it never seemed to end. Mm-hmm. Like rumor mills. So let's take it day by day. Mm-hmm. And it constantly changed. Mm-hmm. So Was there anything that was kind of current as far as the rumors went that you kind of saw consistency with? Or was it just always fluctuating? It fluctuated every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I didn't. Obviously, at September 11th, when we were supposed to pull out, we didn't make it close to that. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, you got to speak up. They can barely hear you. Gotta, barely yeah. still. You wow. got to sound off, man. No. You're a Marine. Come on. You can do this. You can do this. Normally, I'm yelling. So, <laughs> um, yeah, the, it was just different every single day. Mm-hmm. Intel changed every single day. It's um, kind of getting a little ahead of myself. But when we lost those, when we lost those Marines, the initial uh, report was two or three injured killed and then it all of a sudden ballooned up to 13 a couple days later mm-hmm. uh, so how so, do people take that over there as far as those 13 we lost mm-hmm. i mean we were pissed we were absolutely pissed off mm-hmm. uh, and i was fortunate enough me and uh, some of my other doe dog brothers uh we actually got to go to that ceremony to see them off mm-hmm. and uh that was the first time i realized two of them were females because mm-hmm. they had all female uh pallbearers mm-hmm. so so what are some of the things that you feel like the press, like you talked about, talked to me about this, like you felt like the press was getting wrong. Like you said, there's there's a lot of things over there that were not being reported. Or there were things that were just being swept under the rug. Um, I know this is hard for you. I can see it in your yeah. face. I, I know this is hard. The people have a right to know. It. It's just kind of like when you have that truth, you have that inside look like I get it. The first couple of days, we were fighting these people to keep them out. Mm-hmm. When this all, when Kabul fell, we were fighting to keep them out of the uh, airfield, um, if so they could leave America or leave yeah. Afghanistan. And right. it's and it seems kind of counterproductive when you say it, but it's you just can't let everybody in. I yeah. mean, it was just so in some areas, um, it was like a full-on riot, and you're trying to keep them out using uh, some of the good things that came out of it. We're not just weapons-free on everything. Mm-hmm. Non-lethals. I mean, I thought uh, some of the guys did very well that I saw anyway. Um, we heard reports of Marines shooting a guy here and there on on some of the other sides of the airfield, uh, but there's a lot of restraint. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had to be hard because it wasn't like these were our enemies. These are people that genuinely knew that when Afghanistan fell, the Taliban were going to come back. And I think I would assume the reason they're leaving is that they have they have targets on their backs. Yeah. Um, I know for some, they paid these people out, uh, some of the workers there uh, that worked on the bases, mm-hmm. paying them out, kicking them out in a Kabul. So they had a target on their back. Um, that I know that didn't help anything. We helped a lot of these people, gave them jobs, things like that, and you see them all the time. And, and, uh, and for those that don't know, like the Taliban would tell anybody that worked with Americans that they'd be killed, they'd be assassinated, their families would be off. Like it took a lot of bravery and courage for a lot of these Afghani civilians to come forward and work with coalition forces, fully knowing that the Taliban could eventually target them at some point or another. Yep. It's, you're saying it. Mm. <laughs> um, some of the other things I saw. Obviously, there's the... 
I, I guess one of the comparisons that you hear a lot, like even through my trans, some of my translators, it was, have you ever seen World War Z? That is the best way to describe the airfield itself. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the terminals or on the airfield. Um, this is this is Bagram. No, this was this was Kabul. This is Kabul. Okay. So that when you see the people on the plane on the uh, what was it the C seventeen, mm-hmm. um, people grabbing onto it, rushing it, and that's how bad they wanted to get out of there. But the flip side is, where was all that energy when we needed them to fight? I mean, so that's. Uh, as far as as far as that particular day, that that bird, um, I've heard this from a num- numerous sources. There was only the crew on that bird. They didn't actually take anybody. They were just like, we got to get out of here like right now. So, a couple of Apaches came down to dust them out constantly. There's <coughs> videos out there of that to get. So Apaches were literally low flying, so they can dust away the people so they wouldn't rush. Yep. It was it, that bad. It was that bad. Um, and then they were able to get out of there, and then all of a sudden we start st- seeing stuff fall from the bird. Like, what was that? Mm. And bodies are falling from the sky. And that's uh, an image is going to stay with a lot of us for a long time. And there was also images circulating of, like, moms and fathers trying to, like, hoist their kids up for the Marines to take them just yeah. to get them out of there. Did you see a lot of that? Um, not so much where I was at. Okay. We were just taking... Uh, Whoever we, whoever was vetted, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, and we're just doing it onesies and twosies, families, things like that. So I didn't see too much of the little ones, things like that. You said you had some stuff to get off your chest, some things that needed to be said. Do you still feel like you want to talk about them? <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of good and bad. So I, I watched a lot of a lot of these units do a lot of really good things. Mm-hmm. Some of the bad stuff. Uh, I think we had Tenth Mountain out there. 2-1 and 1-8 from the Marine Corps. 10th Mountain was real hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking to the point that they're breaking into convicts boxes, mm-hmm. stealing. I mean, they just showed up to these camps, and they're, they're stealing shit. The soldiers were? Yeah. Really? What were they stealing? Gear. Uh, makes know? sense, yeah. And um, at one point, uh, I guess one of my friends, uh, I think he was a part of this state, they confronted an officer, an officer. Like, hey, where'd you get those Peltors at? Oh, uh, come on. I'd expect that from a PFC, but an officer. So that's, yeah. unfortunately, you start seeing a couple, uh, some of these units show their ass. Um, I don't know why this sticks out of my head, but when we were doing the ceremony to send those uh, service members off, mm-hmm. there was a staff sergeant, Marine staff sergeant, had a giant chain around his neck. I have no idea why he wore that, but I thought that was one of the dumbest things you could a chain, a, like a giant, like a toe chain. Oh, <laughs> I know. Hmm. And that's what we sent out there. I don't. So there was a, so there were people that were stealing from connexes with gear and stuff. Was it because they just didn't want to leave it into the hands of the enemy? So it's like let's arm and equip ourselves, no. or no, they were just stealing to steal. They were just breaking in. They got removed from a camp. Uh, mm. I think one one organization that got the tenth mountain. I guess they had to go through two or three different units. Mm-hmm. For various breaking into conics, all this different stuff they were doing, falling asleep on post. Mm. Um, but the flip side is with that, with Ten Mountain, there's a sniper unit that was really locked on. Mm. Uh, so there's give and take there. Um, and then uh, I know what they're on flipping, uh, flipping the page here, going to the contracting side. Uh, some guys that were at the embassy, they just made it seem like they were just having the best time of their life to the point that they're posting this stuff on social media. It's like, man, this, this isn't a good thing. Yeah. Like I get it, taking pictures and yeah. save it for mm-hmm. your own records. But I just, I'm, I'm failing to understand how this is a, a good time. It felt like there was a lot of people out there with a the social media presence that were just trying to get clout. They were trying to, I mean, it looked like there were a few people that were violating OPSEC, like giving away locations and things such as that. Did you see a lot of that? Um, not where I was at, uh, but the um, the only thing that really stood out to me was the whole Tim Kennedy thing. Mm-hmm. That spread like wildfire fast. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's dual sides to that. Because there's people that actually genuinely hate him, and I get why. I understand why a lot of people don't like him. I've had my run-ins with him as well. And there's other people saying that he's doing it for the right reasons. 
and it's all hearsay because you have because I have the same thing with people like me. It's like, oh, you know, he did this and this. It's like that's actually not true. You don't even know me. But they want us to like I actually served with him. He was a piece of shit. It's like I don't. I have no idea who you even are. You just don't like me, so you're trying to trash my career. So it's like I try and see it from both sides there. But there was a lot of speculation behind that. And there was a lot of speculation behind other people that were doing that as well. A lot of the, uh, a lot of guys that were going over there. I have a friend of mine, Vance, who uh, talked about a very similar thing in Ukraine, that people were trying to do this to chase social media clout. They were violating operational security. They were just making very poor decisions. Um, and it felt like social media put a highlight or a magnifier on these mistakes that were being made that should never have been made. So, yeah, as far as that, what did you see? Like, what were the things that bothered you that you noticed that were probably doing a disservice to what was going on over there? Because you said that people were rushing these gates and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I know I can think of a couple guys that they were they made themselves assets as best they could. Some guys didn't get a chance to go over there and help out. Mm -hmm with that program they had going. Um, but they still found a way to be in touch with agencies, push intel, um, get people through checkpoints, like, hey, this checkpoint's closed, mm -hmm. try this one on the north side, whatever. Uh, so those people those people were doing that. And I talked to a few of them, and until this day they'll tell me the same thing. Nobody knows I went out there, and they want to keep it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing, like, I don't want people to know where I was at. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, like you said, you got the clout thing. You, I get telling a story, I really do, but um, yeah, like you said, it's going to be hearsay, but until someone comes forward and they actually had an encounter with that guy, that's all it's going to be. But at the same time, it's you're doing charity work, but you got to tell everybody it's no longer charity work. You're doing it for yourself. Mm. So that's, I don't think that helped anything. And, and I understand that there's a process to get through those gates. Mm -hmm. And so you want to talk about a disservice to load these people up, try to get them through a gate, and you got to get turned around. Like, that's just, that's hurting the process for everybody else. Um, Where were you in all the midst of this? What were you doing? Um, Can you say? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. So there were massive rushes to the gate. There was a lot of... Uh, it sounds like massive disorganization, like just a lot of disorganized things left and right. So what else? Uh, it was just a damn. Now you got me on a spot. It's you're holding back. I can tell because in the gym earlier, you're ready. Yeah, yeah. You're ready. So it's like, what is it you want to say? If you don't feel comfortable, you don't have no, to. No, no, it's not that. It's just trying to find the right words. Um, it's say what you feel. It bro. was uh, that that was that's a huge black eye on the United States. Um, we repeated what Obama did in twenty was it twenty eleven twenty twelve in Iraq. We did it again in Afghanistan. Um, not to get go down this uh, rabbit hole, but I mean, if you voted for this guy, this is one of those things you got to own. Like mm. this, this was a one of the worst drawdowns. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. I just, there's, th that's what a lot of people kept coming back to is all the time that a bunch of us had spent down range, we'd never seen anything like this. Um, so it's just, it's, it's gonna, be, it's gonna take a long time to process. Like even till this day, it's just like things keep coming back, have conversations with different people from different angles. And it's, I mean, it's gonna be a process. Yeah. yeah. What's one of the biggest things that bothers you about that withdrawal? Uh, we left people behind. That was probably the first one. We let the Taliban dictate when we draw down mm -hmm. or when we pull out. So we asked for an extension. They're like, no, we're not going to give it to you. And we we bent the knee to them. Mm -hmm. uh, that sucked. Um did you get eyes on any of the equipment that was left behind? Yeah. Give me some examples. Um, everybody, I'm sure everybody's seen the pictures of all the different vehicles, weapons, things like that. Uh, there were um, warehouses. I'm talking distribution center type warehouses that uh, were filled with weapons. Um, and they had no idea what to do with them. What kind of weapons are we talking 
Yeah, small arms, nothing too crazy. But I'm like warehouse. I mean, I I can't hundreds of thousands of weapons, and that was just the airfield. So now magnify that the entire country. Yeah, that was. I know some some units. I guess had to burn all their stuff, so they didn't even get. They came in with it, but they didn't take it out. So that was borderline a waste. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we were destroying a lot of our stuff. A lot of the Marines were destroying stuff. Army, state. I mean, they left that stuff there. That there's there's a picture circulating uh, the Taliban selling that stuff to like Pakistan, China, whatever it is, the Bearcats and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just. I mean, that's State Department for you though. Fraud, waste, and abuse. Yeah. Um. So every day that you woke up there, did you feel like people had a good, clear guidance of where we were going, what we were doing, what the objective was, or was it just literally day by day chaos? We don't know what's going on. For our piece of the pie, I don't want to say it was that bad. Mm-hmm. State Department, it sounded like chickens with their heads cut off. Mm-hmm. Hey, we we can hear their comms, and they just almost like. They just got the call one day, like, oh, shit, we got to do this in, like, five days or something, whatever it was. But it just, it happened fast. Um, so I don't think any two, it just, it was, at the end of the day, it was completely unorganized. Mm-hmm. Um, so one or two people, I guess it's, or one or two organizations, is something that, you know, we knew what we were doing, but the rest of them, not so much. Mm-hmm. What else? You said something about secrets, things that needed to be said. Um, I don't think we had our A-team out there, I can tell you that. What do you mean? Just a lot of guys showing their ass. The social media thing, uh, when it came time to man a gun, man a post, now all of a sudden you got guys wanting to kind of hang back. Oh, hey, I want to, I'll man the radio. Uh, Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Was this after the uh, car bomb? Was that prior? Um, actually, it was before. Really? Yeah. When the uh, airfield kicked off. Yeah. We had guys that uh, all of a sudden they had to be told what to do. They couldn't look for work on their own. Uh, so that was... Uh, it's kind of disheartening because you think you're around a bunch of warriors and Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not the case, um, but then you like you see all the different military units, and, and it's, uh, you see how obviously the military has been in decline for some time now, mm-hmm. and you go out there and you see that there's there's some experience, but there's just to me there just wasn't enough. Um, some guys chasing it, wanting to get into firefights. It's like, dude, you don't know what you're asking for. You got other guys that just flat out don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to take away from the guys that did their did their job, but it's a. Uh, I mean, that should be an eye opening experience for a lot of people. Like, hey, we gotta we gotta learn from this. Yeah. At a minimum. How much time did you spend in Iraq and Afghanistan prior to your contracting over there for the withdrawal? Mm, over 20, 24 months Iraq and then I spent a couple of years in Afghanistan mm-hmm. so you had blood in these countries like you, you you invested some time some blood sweat and tears yeah yeah you feel like that was the general consensus between a lot of the people that were over there for the drawdown like this was heartbreaking to watch like everything that we did for the last 20 years was up in smoke yeah um, I think back to when we pulled out of Iraq and that was the big thing. A lot of Marines had a, a lot of resentment. Like, this is the way we ended things. And obviously, you had the individuals that came out and like, hey, don't don't be down on yourself. We we did the job at the time. We were asked to do it. Um, that's not – the rest of it's not on us. That's on yeah. politicians up higher. Iraq has a special place in Marines' hearts, I'd assume, for their operations like Fallujah. Yep. Where they they took they took some beatings. They went in there and they freaking they did a lot of killing, but they also took some beatings because those were those were hard cities that were fought, Ramadi things like that. 
So yep. there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes. A lot of bodies. There were a lot of men that were killed over there. Yep. Um, same thing can be said about Afghanistan. I know guys that were there. The Marine Corps is pretty much out of Afghanistan. Oh, eight. They had to send Marines back. So two seven went out there. They lost a lot of guys. Um, they had to send combat replacements, like a huge number of them. Mm. Um, they were spread all throughout that theater. You know, but they did the job as best they could. Fast forward, I know guys at, uh, on the Army side that were in the Korangal. I don't need to tell you about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, so it's, That was not a fun time. You know, that, that was a meat grinder. I mean, yeah. it's the entire country. It's the Sangin. Um, yeah. You name it, but it, to again, to let it go like that, I Damn. mean, what was the point? That sucked. How do you feel about it now? Does it still bother you? Well, clearly, it sounds like it does. Yeah. Um, we're going to end up going back there at some point in time. Think so? Yeah. We're going to have to get a foothold. I could be wrong. But uh, assuming we do, and I hate to use that word, what really sucks is, what's going to suck is if we don't learn anything from the past 20 years of the GWAT. Yeah. And we just go in there and put conventional guys in there again. It's like, oh, now they're armed, like more effectively armed with our own weaponry. Yep. And it's, now that you say that, that brings up a whole nother, you know, looking through glass and you're, I remember the intel was, uh, hey, these guys are outside our gates. No. Oh, shit. Referring to the Taliban? Yeah. Yeah. Next morning, we're out there and doing our thing and, oh, shit, they're there. Mm-hmm. They're literally right there. Oh, you actually saw them? Yeah. Armed and everything? Yeah. So it was like a ceasefire was respected. So y'all were, y'all were conducting operations and the Taliban were observing. Yep. No kidding. I didn't know that part. Yeah. They were just literally observing. You're looking right through the glass at them. Couldn't do anything. Nope. That's got to be a crazy feeling to where the enemy that you've been fighting for the last 20 years is literally standing right in front of you and you can't do a thing. That was a hard one. Yeah. And that's to sit there and think of how these people are coming through these gates and the Taliban are just circling this airfield. That, like, man, how the hell did they do it? Like, I think I have bad days. These guys had to do that. So that that puts a different perspective on it then. So you got the Taliban closing everything or circling it, knowing that as soon as y'all are gone, whatever American loyalists are left, they're getting slaughtered. Yep. Like they were ready to move in. They were they they encircled it. They turned it into a little hot pot, and then they pushed in. They uh, we were trying to get a family in. I I'm trying to think. We we're trying to get a mom, and I want to believe her two or three kids through. And we we're trying to walk her through a checkpoint. I think her brother was with her, mm. and he had the phone. And we we're trying to like, hey, give her the phone. Yeah. And we're trying to relay this through two sets of people. And it was just a mess. But anyway, she's like, I'm looking at the checkpoint. And there's Taliban everywhere. Like, yeah. I'm just too scared to go through this. And she ended up turning around and going back home. You know, and we're sitting there, like, having to break through some of these barriers to get some of these people through. Had all the paperwork, things like that. And mm-hmm. it's just, that's the biggest hurdle right there is to get them to a checkpoint. The clarification... I feel like a lot of people are not getting is the paperwork and the documentation that cleared these people to be evacuated out. How did they go about facilitating and identifying who could be removed and who couldn't? And how'd they get them this paperwork? Because this happened so quickly. Like imagine hundreds of thousands of people to where it's like, okay, we got to go through and identify who we need to get out of there because we owe it to them. Or like, what was the, do you, I mean, I might be asking things you don't know about. I don't know. Um, I think one of the biggest thing is you had to have some kind of attachment to some kind of American branch, you know, some kind. Some agencies were able to shit this paperwork um, and get these people through, and they had a good process from everything I've been told. Uh, and then you got some other ones, the Department of State, I don't think it was necessarily as easy. You know, but you had to have some kind of attachment, and even then that was... I watched some people get paid off and like, hey, out the door you go. Mm-hmm. Other people got paid. It's like, how did you pick and choose that? I don't know. Right. So, 
so you had various different, you had Marines, you had Army, you had State Department, you had all these different people trying to get their people out as well. Yep. On top of those that were attached that were Afghans. Yep. I mean, I've seen, it's crazy to think about, but I've seen uh, Asian Americans. Like, what the hell are y'all doing out here? Coming through these crowds. Um, however they picked them, they had comms with them somehow, and you watch them coming through the gates, and you're like, what are y'all doing here? But, I mean, hey, they made it, and you can see the look on their face, like, relief. All this weight coming off their shoulders. Yeah. And whatever it is they had in that country, a lot of places they had to just drop the shit at the gate. Go. Come through with pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, got to see families come through. I think the kids were kind of, you know, when you were younger, you see all this chaos, but you don't really know what's happening type thing. They're just like, oh, we're going on a trip or something. Yeah. Um, there were stories and stuff of them sitting out there on that tarmac baking in that hot sun. Like there was dehydration. Like this didn't just happen like in one day. This was several a span of like several days yep. of just consistent people trying to rush those gates and get through. I mean, it was almost like the sinking of the Titanic, I'd imagine, like trying to get to the lifeboats. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm. Um, I think that lasted two or three days before it finally got cleared out. I, there was some Afghan agency that came in and pushed them all out. I can't remember what they called it. So everybody that was trying to get out, they basically cleared them off the airfield? They got them off the airfield. Mm-hmm. And for like two or three days, flights couldn't leave because of all that. Mm-hmm. So that slowed things down. Um, I spoke to one of my interpreters not too long ago, and uh, we sat there and talked about different things. Is he still over there? Nope. Oh, he made it? He made it back. That's uh, good. Yeah, him and his family. The process for them, Shit. That was something. They had to go. Well, whenever, back up a second. Whenever Kabul fell, he got a phone call that morning. Hey, we need you to grab your stuff, come to come to the airport or whatever. He's, and he asked me, have you ever seen World War Z? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's what it looked like. Cars just, you know, zombie apocalypse. Like everything was abandoned. It took me like 30 minutes to get there. I had to walk. And, uh. Obviously, it started the whole process to, like, hey, we got to start getting people out of here. Like, this isn't going good. And him and his family, so he had to work up until whatever last day. Um, That guy rolled the dice because even he was on, you know, kind of teetering on whether or not he was going to be able to leave with us or not. But he still kept working, a lot of these guys. Uh, A lot of our Afghan counterparts, they still kept working. Mm -hmm. Um, Some left to the pants here or whatever, but... The ones that stayed behind, they kept working, and that was, and you can't beat that. But um, they were able to get whatever documents, get their families out and stuff like that. For him, he had to, I think they went down to Qatar. They got to Virginia, stayed on a base there. He went to Nebraska. His family went to Florida, I believe. Now they're back in D.C. They got quarantined for smallpox, of all things. But... um, I mean, even all of those refugees, uh, allies, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. they had a. There's still people in that process today, and they're still going through all that. So still trying to get out. Do you think there's people still hiding out over there? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> speaking of, you just brought another idea. Same interpreter. He's telling me about uh, there's a realtor out there, Kabul, that's buying up properties. Democrats love this guy. Never let a. Uh, Crisis go to waste. Yeah. Buying up three, four million dollar properties, like 20 grand. And he's playing a long game with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, yeah, now's the best time to buy. Like, dude, you're not going to try to get out? He's like, no. <laughs> They're not going to mess with me. Like, all right. So it's, it's a lot of good and bad. I mean, some people, they see an opportunity there. Yeah. Like, hey, I've had it, I guess. So, yep. What else? What else with the withdrawal? Things that are sticking with you? Things that you wish you can go back and change? I'd like to see somebody get held accountable for those service members we lost. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep hearing the same old debate. Biden, Biden, Biden. Man, it's an easy out, man. Mm-hmm. That dude was sitting in D.C. or probably Delaware yeah. when all this is going down. But um, 
there's some officer, some some commanding officer on the ground that had that intel and did nothing to prepare for it. Yeah, because there were reports that came out that said they were sitting on this intel. Like, and to be fair, you do get a lot of reports that are very similar that are that never come to pass. So it's like trying to pick which one is actionable versus which one isn't, which one has credibility. But at the same token, like you also know that you're going through a drawdown. You're a soft target now. You've got to be on 110% alert. Yep. But that the flip side is only those people that were actually physically there. Um, they, they're the ones that saw it with their own eyes and they know that story. But even then, some of that stuff seemed to be getting swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these guys are saying they shot back one. I guess one Marine got shot. Mm-hmm. But the uh, report that came out was like, oh, no one was shot. There was no small arms. That's not adding up. So we don't know what to believe. Nope. And I know exactly where that spot is mm-hmm. because uh, a camp got hit there in 2016. So that uh, that that was a bad area, period, at the end. Mm-hmm. And like you said, soft target. So that was uh, – I don't want to say I'm, I'm not really surprised that I got hit like that. Yeah. So, yeah, Abby Gate. So before, well, after the car bomb hit, what did that do to troop morale over there? Because that was a big deal. Even in the States, when we heard about it over here, it was just like, Jesus Christ. Like, what the hell? Like, we, for me, in my mind, it's like it's about to get really bad. Like, that car bomb was bad, but it's about to be like shit's going to be overrun. Um, I mean, it spread like wildfire. The whole, that whole attack on social media, a bunch of friends that had been out there at some point in time, obviously it's... They, kept a close eye on it uh it didn't really get any worse than what it was that was that was like the big event that happened mm-hmm. um other than that it just kept going the same everyday grind mm-hmm. as crazy as that sounds so it was literally wake up the next day wash rinse repeat pretty much yeah. just do it again do it again do it again until we hey this is when we're leaving i got pushed back to this is when we're leaving same stuff when did you actually leave uh, a couple of days prior to the official ominous dominus. How was that? How'd it feel? Like, talk me through it. You get on the bird. Like, how'd, how'd that go? Because I know it's fresh in your mind. I know most people that have gotten on a bird in the middle of the desert know that feeling. But yeah. for those that don't, talk me through it, please. Um, I know everyone wanted to stay till the end, or most people did anyway. But, okay, here's... Here's how we're breaking it down. Here's how everyone's leaving. Uh, the second group of people to leave, I think. Um, turned in all my stuff. Put everything on the pallet to uh, uh, obviously go into the belly of the plane and got on the bird super late at night. Got on, you know, wheels up. And uh, it's kind of mixed feelings because it's like, the biggest thing that came out of that was, did we do enough? Even when we got back stateside, went out to a bar the first night, and that question came up, do you think we did enough? So I don't want to say it was a, a regret, but that's just a question that I talk about this with several guys. Did we do enough? Uh, so, yeah, was a little bit of weight came off my shoulders. But even when we were leaving, we still had guys that stayed behind. Uh, that They had to finish up work there. So it's just the weight never really came off until we were done. Yeah. And then even when we got home, that last general to get on the bird, that iconic picture, mm. we left people behind. What do you say to that? that? So that photo was a lie. Like we still have people over there yeah. now. <laughs> I don't get it. Like I don't. Yeah. Let me ask you a hard question here, and I want you to be honest with me. If somebody said they wanted to join the Marines today, what would you tell them? Or the military in general, what would you tell them? Oof. When people ask me about joining the Marine Corps, I tell them, I'm not just biased for the sake of, oh, go join the Marine Corps, because mm-hmm. I did it. That's stupid. I tell them it's a hard life. If you want to make a real transformation, yeah, go be a United States Marine. But understand that it has changed over the past 10, 15 years. Um, I kind of give them some 
every every branch service has its merits. Um, the Coast Guard, believe it or not, has oh, a, yeah. a ton of We were asked them, but absolutely. <laughs> no, they do I mean? a lot. They, they do do a lot. But it's just those are those are easy targets to pick on. But no, without the Coast Guard, like we do need them. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to get education, things like that, go Air Force. You know, I don't just don't just go Marine Corps. Just don't um, <laughs> have some reasons behind it, uh, you know, at a minimum. Um, Sitting here listening to your testimonial about Afghanistan, it's kind of like, and this is the weird thing that I feel like a lot of veterans have felt that have dedicated a lot of time to the Middle East. Like, you and I are the same age. So we both grew up under the same propaganda fed to us by the government of freedom isn't free, attack on American soil, in which, in many cases, this was true. But there was a lot of things that were left out. But when I listen to your story, and story is very similar I see a Vietnam veteran sitting there instead of an Iraq and Afghanistan veteran saying the same exact thing with the fall of Saigon. The same exact stories. As far as the government abandoned people, we were lied to, why were we there? So when you say we didn't learn these lessons, it feels like the lessons that we should have taken away from Vietnam, we certainly didn't. Because the Army even has a program for this, the Army Center of Lessons Learned. And it's like we just have this program for looks only. What What are we doing with this? But I see that and I hear that in you. It's just it's like listening to a Vietnam generation veteran saying, hey, should I join the military? And their answer would be like, nope, it's not what you think. These wars, they sound great, but they're not what you think. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, you're saying it, man. I can't really put anything else on that. It's... Um like we were talking about earlier, when we were younger, we didn't really know any better. You start getting older, and all of a sudden, for those of us that got out, you're not drinking that Kool-Aid anymore, and you start mm-hmm. you start seeing more and more and more, uh, whether it's just, I mean, the great thing about podcasts is you're getting other people's opinions, views, whatever, and, wow, I never thought about it yeah. that way. You know, even the other day, like I was telling you, the Eric Prince uh, podcast, listening to all that, uh, so the approach he had with Afghanistan was like, oh, wait a minute. There's Tell people who Eric Prince is. Eric Prince, for anyone that does not know, is the founder of Blackwater. What is Blackwater? Blackwater is the first contracting company that pretty much paved the way for uh, private security overseas. Um, and where was I going with that? He was doing an interview. Eric Prince doing an interview. Yeah, he actually had a lot of, a lot of depth, had an approach to... Afghanistan and the big names you usually hear General Mattis yeah you know oh no we don't like that we don't want to go with that approach but why because it's not military like what we're doing is not working Mm. you know and and, uh, I mean I think one of the things Eric Prince said best was first eight months had these guys on their toes Taliban and then the second we raised that flag in Bagram went to shit 19 years just repeating it um, talking about 19 years worth uh, another thing that pops in my head talking to this army guy and he said here's one of the reasons why we lost Afghanistan just one of many he's talking to an Afghan soldier and he said when you guys come in here what do you guys want to do you want to go balls of the wall then the next unit comes in what do they want to do you want to go balls of the wall and so you guys get a break we get maybe two weeks out of the year or something, whatever it is. So we got to do this. And they've been doing it for 19, 20 years. So the fact that they laid down their arms, can you really fault the guys? Um, again, yes and no. But it's, uh, and on top of that, you're seeing different tactics because what your unit was doing is going to be slightly different from the next. Now you oh, got to yeah? sit there and constantly go back to the drawing board. Yeah. These guys are like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, the Afghan army. So, and again, what Eric Prince had, he actually had a completely different idea on it, which I thought would have made sense. And, uh, you know, this, not that this is anything about him, but, you know, you you bring up the names like General Mattis and everybody's like, oh, yeah, Mad Dog, this and that. It's nothing he did actually really helped Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. There was no, no one had any kind of, like General Petraeus, you brought that name up earlier probably one of the last guys that had somewhat of an approach, mm. whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan, and since then it's been next to nothing, and no one's taken any kind of accountability on, why are we going to do this? 
You know, Afghan Afghanistan's never gonna know democracy. No. So why are we trying? <laughs> That's a good point. You know. Um so it's I don't know. people like General Mattis, um, like I remember when the memes and stuff first started circulating about him. Mad Dog Mattis, have a plan to kill everybody in the room, stuff like that. And I don't think people really started to wake up to who he really was until it was the Trump administration and he started going toe-to-toe with Trump. And some of the things he was quoted as saying were like, wait, this guy sounds like a liberal globalist. The things he was saying were like, and it hurt, like I'm not going to lie, because like he's one of ours. He's one of our communities. That's why when you have these social media influencers in the veteran space that are espousing liberal propaganda, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment and things such as that, it hurts. It's like, because you're one of us. Like, we don't turn our backs on our own. We don't turn our back on the Constitution. But then when General Mattis comes out there and starts saying these things, it's split people. It's split people down, especially in the veteran community, because we're just like, there's people like me. It's like, look, dude, I really don't know what you did or what you've done. I just know what I've heard about you, and that's all hearsay and anecdotal. But what you're saying makes you sound like a bitch to me. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. I mean, fuck the general. I don't give a shit what his rank is or what he's done. When you sit there and you're espousing globalist propaganda, I lose all respect for you. And then, and then I think it starts bringing the questions of, okay, what did you actually do while you were in? And that's, that's a lot of questions there. That's a question that a lot of people don't want to answer. It's like, what did, what, because I know you told me he was responsible for something. So funny you bring that up. What did he actually do? So that was a question. Put it close to your, you can, get it. You, uh, you can move the mic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I just got to move around a bit. Um, Whenever he got fired or he resigned, whatever, somebody reached out to me and were like, oh, well, you got to hate him now, Trump now, because he fired Mad Dog Mattis. I'm like, why? Not everybody has the same opinion Mm -hmm. of General Mattis. And I gave this person two different examples. One of them was, what did he do as a sec dev? That's a good question to ask. He didn't actually do anything. He, um, I think he had one policy of you got to be able to deploy within a year. You got to get out. Okay, whatever. And the other one was he was keeping uh, foreign relations or whatever he was doing there, uh, working with our allies, trying to keep those ties strong, whatever. Um, but then the flip side is, and anybody that's listening to this can look this up, there's an article out there. There's an SF unit in 2001, got in a tick. Tick means troops in contact. Troops they in were con- in a firefight. Yep, troops in contact. Um Took casualties, requested a medevac, and General Mattis was the commanding officer at Camp Rhino, I believe. And he would not release the birds. And this is the same guy that everybody says plays it fast and loose, says all this non-political, you know, this or uh, what's the word people use? Uh, politically correct. Mm. And he's not releasing birds. And NATO guys, I believe, had to pull those dudes out. So it's not everybody's going to have the same opinion of this dude. And when you start going down that rabbit hole, I've met a lot of pilots. They will all tell you the same thing. If you tell us you're in trouble, we will come and get you. Mm-hmm. And I can think of a guy right now, a uh, crazy-ass pilot. That dude will come and get you. Anyway, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, was in the Korangal. <laughs> they were, uh, one of their guys got hit. I uh, think got shot in the jaw or something. Patchy, uh, patchy pilot was like, hey, I'm going to land on this roof, throw him in the cockpit. Fucking dude landed this thing on the roof. RPG just missed the tail rotor. Pulls out. He's like, hey, man, I can't try that again. But he tried. Yeah. And these dudes are fun. They will do it. Yeah. They're professionals, but they're fucking crazy. They're there to help you. Yeah. And um, so, again, you circle back to the whole madness thing. It's like, why? Yeah. That's their job. So... Anyway, not everybody's going to have the same same great opinion of that dude. And so circle back around to the whole approach to Afghanistan. Like everybody thinks Eric Prince is this warmongering, profiteering, off war, blah, blah, blah. It's stupid. Um, the guy actually had a good idea for an approach to Afghanistan. And there's a lot of depth in that. I'd recommend anybody listen to that because don't just take my word for it. It's guy knows his stuff. And, I mean, like you said, I mean, we've been beating a, beating a dead horse on this, but uh, just because of General Mattis, not everybody thinks he's this great dude. Yeah. 
same thing with some of these other guys that went out there to try to help out. Won't even go down that too deep, but uh, there's guys on the ground that ran into some of these people that did not have this great encounter that people stateside have, you know, been led to believe. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. Like you either, you know, uh, some of these guys that are fucking shit up in, in Kabul that came from somewhere. Otherwise you're calling them a liar. Mm. So until those guys come forward, we're never really going to know, but whatever. It's a mess. If you could enlist and do it all again, would you? Man. (laughs) Knowing what you know now, if you could go back and talk to 17, 18 year old version of yourself, would you do it again? Yes. Why? I have no regrets. I met a lot of great people. Um, Everything I've ever done in my career, it's always the people that have made it worth it. So I can't, I wouldn't change anything. Even knowing you're going to deal with the psychological scars that you've got now. Yeah. It's a tough pill to swallow, but someone's got to do it. You know what I mean? Like some of the places you've been. Could the next guy have done that? I think so. We're all stupid. (laughs) (laughs) We're all dumb. I mean, let's just be honest. I think the reason that half of us enlisted is we just want to go over there and kill somebody. We wanted to have that rite of passage into manhood. Well, I wasn't going to college, so that was that. (laughs) Yeah, slightly different reason, but yeah. Yeah, I'd do it again. You would? Yeah. You still going to keep contracting, or what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. You find it difficult to get back into society, don't you? Yeah, I know a lot of people have brought up uh, being a police officer, but that's not as, mm, that's no, not the best time. I don't know if this is the best time to be doing that. <laughs> right? Yeah. But hey, I, hats off to anybody that does it. Uh, yeah. A lot of guys out there, knowing what they know, they're still going to try it. So, we'll Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, I think we pretty much touched uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's not, it wasn't all just black and white the way people kind of make it sound. Um, there'll be, a, unfortunately, there'll be a lot more, there's a lot more questions and answers right now, but maybe down the road, you know, that Lieutenant Colonel with the Marine Corps, he, I think he's coming out with a book or something, but uh, I just read something recently. He's talking about the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Sergeant Major Black. I don't think he has anything good to say about that guy. Mm. That'll be interesting to see uh, because I know, I guess, 2-1, they're the ones that lost, some, uh, lost those uh, double dogs in that Army bubble. But I guess 2-1's gotten a lot of awards out of that. Rightfully so, I guess. But 1-8, nothing. I guess the reason behind it is a, it's a political one because – Oh, well, 1-8's been smoking all these Taliban guys. We can't sit here and give these guys awards. Mm. We're trying to mend ties with the Taliban. So that's, yeah, that's kind of shitty. That uh, is. So maybe more answers will come out of it. Will anyone be accountable? No. Doubtful. And I find that kind of strange, knowing what I know about the Marine Corps, but obviously the culture has shifted. But before, I used to watch entire commands get fried for various things it's like man this captain was he was on leave when that happened or whatever you know something stupid like that he still gets fried anyway uh spoke to you a little bit about that amphibious assault vehicle that went down on the west coast a bunch of marines drowned and uh they want to fry the battalion commander why is no one talking about the section leader on that track feels like we're going after the wrong people yeah um you know, but yeah, I think anyway, as far as the drawdown's concerned, it's a lot of good came out of it. You got to watch a lot of people step up. A lot of our allies stepped up. I feel like uh, we fell a little bit short in a lot of areas. Um, not to dive too deep into this, but I thought it was kind of uh, demoralizing that you're watching a bunch of our NATO allies going out into the city recover their people and here we are just 
sitting behind a wall. No one's really going out and doing anything. Uh, that was kind of shitty. Um, the general was like, I guess the Taliban offered to let us have Kabul so we could do this drawdown. The general said no. Can't think of the guy's name right now. Um, he's like, dude, you need more people. Request more people. Get whatever you need out here so we can make this happen. Whatever. That's way above my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. A lot of good, a lot of bad. Um, I'd recommend anybody just do do some research. Reach out, ask people, whatever it is. Don't just take it. You know, don't sit here and just blame Biden. It's bigger than that. Mm-hmm. As much as I don't like the guy. Um I mean, we've, we've had this conversation. Do your research. Just talk to people. Listen to what other people have to say about it. Don't just write people off. Um, I sit there and tell people before the elections went into it, you understand that with Biden in office, the world's going to be a more dangerous place. Oh, well, I'm voting for different things. And it's kind of a big thing. Yeah. I'm not saying it's got to be the end-all, be-all, and now here we are, and it's like, well, I fucking told you so. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully that was somewhat informative, I guess. (laughs) Someone's perspective. Somebody was actually there. Yeah. You don't see a lot of it. You just see what social media allows us to see and what the MSM falsely reports. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about these podcasts, especially yours. Just put it out there. Good, bad, ugly. You know, if you were something I heard once, if you're acting like a jackass somewhere and someone calls you out, well, you should have acted accordingly. Yeah. That's not anybody. That's just what happened. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of guys did a lot of good things and never want to take anything away from that. So uh, we did our best. That's all you can do. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I want to say thank you for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, if anything else pops up in your mind, let me know. Yeah, yeah definitely. What a that conversation. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in today. This podcast will be uploaded very shortly. Uh, Stand by. We're going to go live again here in a little while to cover the daily news. And then we'll be back a little bit later on. So, again, thank you to my guest who's going to remain anonymous. And appreciate you coming in here and giving your side of the story and your perspective for people to actually hear a different side of it. Yeah, appreciate it. As always, you stay savage, America.